From InsureTech Ireland, this is InsureTech Radio, episode 32. I'm Connor Sweetman and welcome to InsureTech Radio, the podcast that teaches you about how technology is changing insurance and about the people making it happen. What I'd be encouraging companies to do is kind of focus number one, short-term survival. What do we do literally today to extend our runway and, and to give us the opportunity to survive for longer? This week, my guest is Brian Caulfield from Draper Esprit. And we speak about the tactics that startups, particularly insurtech startups, can use to run their businesses and survive during the COVID-19 crisis. Everything from government supports to dealing with investors to managing personal stress. It was a great conversation. Brian was very generous with his time and he gave lots of really good advice. I hope you enjoy. So we, we were talking there, Brian, about um, some of the tactics that uh, founders can use. Um, and like, I'm, I'm wondering like, if we project forward, like, you know, I don't know, however long, three months, six months, a year, like, what, what do you think, what do you think we're going to be left with? What will survival look like after all this? I, I think that's actually incredibly difficult to predict, unfortunately. Um, you know, I think we've seen projections for the size of the hit to GDP of kind of anything between 7% and 15%. And I, I, I don't think people realize how severe a 15% hit to GDP is. You, you know, that is um, an enormous uh, economic catastrophe. The other thing that we really don't have a good handle on yet is, if you like, the macro response, uh, for example, from the uh, the European Central Bank. They've been saying that um, they'll do whatever it takes and have been talking in terms of kind of huge quantitative easing through bond buying and, you know, essentially injecting more debt into the system. I'm not sure that that's going to be good enough this time round. And I do think that there's a very, very strong case to be made for, for what's being referred to as helicopter money, which is essentially, you know, direct injections of cash into people's bank accounts um, by by the European Central Bank and by central banks around Europe. And I think whether something like that happens or not could have a very, very material impact on on how quickly we're able to uh, to bounce back from this, you know. I, I think without that, um, huge numbers of ordinary consumers are going to have, a, you know, has such an impact on their, uh, their, their disposable incomes that we could be talking about a very, very prolonged, uh, very, very prolonged recession. And in that environment, like, do, do, do startups do the same things? Do they deploy the same tactics they always did when trying to scale their businesses? And, you know, it's just a new context now? Or do they have to completely rethink what they do and how they do it? 
Um, I think they have to rethink uh, what what they do and how they do it very, very significantly. I mean, the first thing that's definitely going to be a huge impact is that it is going to become very, very difficult indeed to raise capital, to raise VC, to raise angel capital. And I think right now people are significantly underestimating how difficult that's going to become. So I I think there will need to be a huge focus on capital efficiency. Um, Companies that have built a very large burn um, are going to need to take that burn down as quickly as they possibly can to stretch their runway and you know to 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 do the best that they can to uh, to survive i think from a tactical perspective um it, the focus is going to return to you know much more of a focus if you like on uh, on organic profitable growth rather than you know acquire customers regardless of cost and um uh you know very very heavily marketing led propositions uh that are if if you like that that that, that don't deliver margin contribution are going to be very very uh, very very much out of favor Mm. and uh, and then on that like so when they are navigating all this you know assuming they're it feels like they're trying to walk in the middle of an earthquake you know they'll be moving the ground is moving underneath them so like how do they think about say forecasting for example in this environment like how do you do that when it seems like everything is changing every day so uh, to be honest i've been encouraging companies in the short term at least not to think too much about trying to create a new three-year plan you know i think trying to create a new three-year plan is uh, is an exercise in futility um <laughs> at, at least in the short term so what i'd be co- encouraging companies to do is kind of focus number one the short-term survival what do we do literally today to extend our runway and and to give us the opportunity to survive for longer and then in terms of the longer term planning horizon i i think what they need to be doing is firstly if you like just making a list of the potential impacts and concerns the things that they're worried about and to think about um, what are the levers that they can pull to respond to those challenges, you know? So they need to be thinking more in terms of, of scenarios and, and as I said, what levers can you pull to, to, to address a, a specific challenge? rather than trying to come up with, as I said, another uh, kind of a a new three-year plan. Because I guarantee you, if you come up with a three-year plan today based on your view on how the world will look uh, post-crisis, 
you're going to be tearing that up in in a matter of weeks. Yeah, and and when you, you spoke about the uh, what the European Central Bank might do as well, kind of holistically, like when you come back locally to Ireland, like what what supports are available for Irish entrepreneurs uh, in the short term? So in in the short term, from the perspective of Irish entrepreneurs, probably the key support is the temporary wage subsidy scheme. And, you know, that's designed to help people get over the hump of the next three months or so. Um, it, It isn't, as currently scripted, hugely helpful for startups that might have a large number of uh, if you like high salary, uh, you know, high, high salary employees, because it only employs, it only applies to employees earning below 76,000 um, per annum. Um, but after an initial transition period, if you've reduced salaries uh, below 76,000, those people can potentially come into the, the, the scheme as well. So that's probably the, you know, the, the biggest single support. The other, um, very, important thing is that revenue commissioners have made it clear that they're not going to be taking enforcement action in relation to uh, delayed tax payments, um, nor are they going to be accruing interest on delayed tax payments. So, you know, you, you do in effect have the, uh, the opportunity to hold off on making those payments to revenue to, to, to kind of give you a little bit more of, uh, of, of a kind of a sur- survival window while, while you figure things out. Um, there are specific uh, things in relation to some sectors uh, in terms of rates relief and that type of thing, but, but they only apply in certain sectors as things stand at the moment. And then kind of more longer term, like uh, I know there's uh, c- uh, certain groups like Scale Ireland who are um, uh, lobbying the government uh, on additional supports that uh, they feel that the government could be offering. Uh, can you elaborate on some of them or what do you think the government should be doing or uh, could potentially do in the future? Yeah, well, as you, as you probably know, I, I chair Scale Ireland and, um, actually just yesterday we submitted uh, a policy paper to all of the uh, key government departments in, in terms of both the, the kind of the short term actions that are needed and then the medium and longer term actions that are needed. Um, uh, in terms of the short term stuff, we, we've kind of, we've, we've talked about quite a few of them already. We, we want to make sure that the wage subsidy scheme is, is, is available to as broad a range of companies as possible. Uh, we'd like to see the government accelerate payment from government schemes to startups. So, for example, the R&D tax credit is normally paid in three tranches over three years. 
uh, we'd we'd like to see that paid, you know, uh, immediately and in a single tranche rather than spread over three years. Um, we we'd like to see a longer, if you like, holiday period in terms of deferral of payments of PAYE, VAT, and PRSI liabilities. Uh, beyond that, we, we think there's going to need to be some form of bridging finance available to companies uh, to, to, to give them, if you like, the possibility to, to get to further funding. Um, so we've suggested that uh, a, a scheme with up to 100 million euros available is needed to offer companies either convertible loan notes or uh, safe type agreements to, to, pro to provide capital in the short term. And beyond, beyond that, um, I think we need incentives to make sure that there's capital available in the market. So we would like to see, for example, incentives to encourage individuals to invest now. So, uh, for example, uh, under the EIIS scheme, we'd like to see um, uh, either loss relief available or uh, CGT relief for investments that are made in 2020 or in 2021. So people are encouraged to uh, to deploy capital now. Um, we'd also like to see government uh, actually topping up some of the existing venture capital funds that are out there and also being an active participant in, in new venture capital funds just to make sure that there's capital in the market to support these startup companies. That's a great idea. Um, and what, what is the mood like among uh, uh, other limited partners? Like, uh, how, do you how do you guys think that this will affect the VC industry generally? So I suppose the first thing to say is that this I'm speaking very much personally here, not uh, not on behalf of, of Draper Esprit or, or anybody else. Uh, I think this is going to be a very, very difficult time for the venture capital industry um, in terms of uh, where the focus of firms is right now. They're very much focused on their existing portfolio. They're worrying about how that existing portfolio is going to survive. Um, they're thinking about whether some of those existing companies are going to need uh, dramatically more capital from them as an investor than they might have originally planned for. You know, So they're focusing their time, energy and resources on existing portfolio. And, um, you know, definitely lessening their focus on new investments and, you know, being absolutely frank, they, they may even be walking away from new investments because of a requirement to, to kind of focus resources on their existing portfolios. Um, in the longer term, the, the investors in VC funds themselves will also be in a pretty uh, difficult situation. Um, you know, if, if you consider 
a pension funds, for example, they'll they'll usually have a significant proportion of their assets invested in you know publicly traded stock market equities. Uh, they may have a proportion that's in bonds. They might have a proportion in property, and they might have a um, uh, a small allocation to kind of high risk, high return assets like venture capital and private equity. Um, they normally rely on uh, returns, exits in their existing portfolio of venture capital and private equity investments to fund their continuing investment in new funds. And that, that liquidity is drying up right now, and they're starting to become very, very worried about their uh, their ability to fund their commitments to the funds that they've already invested in. Um, so you, you also have this issue that LP investors are saying to their uh, to, to, to their VC firms, look, look guys, we, we, uh, we, we may not be able to meet our, our capital calls. Um, so we'd prefer if we didn't get any capital calls. Uh, so, so, you know, we're, we're, we're fa- facing into a, a very, very difficult period of time from the perspective of the availability of capital. And does that mean then that, uh, Kind of VCs need to kind of do a, a triage of, of some of sorts, you know, kind of making tough decisions about whether about which startups to continue to support or which ones to hold back on, or um, or is that even entering anyone's mind? Oh no, that that is absolutely one hundred percent happening right now. You know, yeah. uh, VCs are going through their portfolios. They're uh, assessing where the companies are in terms of, you know, the sustainability of the business model, uh, the, the, the quality of the management teams. You know, I mean, one of one of the interesting things I, I was on a call with 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 one uh, venture capital firm that I'm involved in as an investor and um, old management teams are back in fashion you know um <laughs> you know C- C- ceos who have been through a crisis before are definitely perceived as being you know better suited to to to, to managing through the current uh, the current uh, situation and Sort of very young founders who perhaps have only seen the good times have suddenly become slightly suspect for a lot of venture capital investors. <laughs> and is is there a bias there as well, uh, depending on you know the age of the the investors, or is this kind of more of a broad observation? No, to to be honest, I think it is it, it absolutely applies to the age of the investors as well. You know that uh, in investors who are relatively new to the game and relatively inexperienced, um, a in many cases don't know what to do with their portfolio companies, and b don't understand. How their own investors are going to react in this uh, in this situation. So, 
I I do believe that we will see a um if you like a clear out in terms of some very very inexperienced VC teams you know relatively new funds um who who haven't seen something like this uh, before and and will struggle to cope with it both from the perspective of of managing their portfolio companies and also from the perspective of um you know of of managing their their investors and you know they will there will be some very very tough decisions to be made in in some funds where some companies you know, it may not be possible to uh, to support all the companies in your portfolio, and there may be some that that uh, funds will be left with no choice uh, but to, to to kind of to cut loose and and to decline to to support further. And I think experienced teams will be better at uh, you know at at dealing with that type of situation. Yeah, because they've been through some adversity before, so they might be able to a bit more resilience potentially. Um, I was I was hoping to we could turn to maybe some of the social and cultural changes that are happening as a result of social distancing. You know, obviously there's this mass uh, um, test of uh, well, uh, working from home uh, ca- capacity in various different types of, of all types of businesses. So, what, what do you think will be some of the long term impacts of all of this? Well, I, I I'd be incredibly surprised if there isn't an enormous increase in remote working. Um, you know, b- beyond this crisis. I think there will be people who will be very, very happy to go back to their uh, their their offices. Um, but I think a huge number of businesses are finding that actually they can operate almost one hundred percent remotely, and that you know may, maybe they don't actually need four hundred thousand square feet of office space in the centre of Dublin to 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 function as, as a business, and that maybe. Uh, far, far less uh, office space and, and a lot more remote working and a lot more working from home is um, uh, is going to be the rep- recipe for the future. So I do think there's potentially a huge impact on, um, you know, on, on commercial property in the long term. Um, I mean, also in terms of the, so if you like, the more trivial, um, I think it's taken people quite a while just to get out of the habit of handshaking. <laughs> and I, I think, I, I wonder if once once we get used to the idea of not shaking hands, you know, <laughs> we, we, we'll, will those kind of habits uh, change, you know? Um, uh, I think also yeah. there, there are a lot of. I was just thinking there about the uh, the Italians and how they greet each other by kissing on the cheek. I, I, I probably didn't help uh, with the spread of the virus there, and I wonder if that will change in Italy or maybe in other parts of Mediterranean. Yeah, exactly, and I I I think I think even though. You know, I'm I'm kind of trivializing it. Um, you know, will 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 we ever get back back to handshaking? But I, I you know, I, I I think I think that's that's very very real. Um, and 
you know, I I think we'll also see uh, a a big sh- in even if you like an accelerated shift to e-commerce, partly because an awful lot of people who maybe were not um, y- using e-commerce a lot have essentially been forced to. And will they ever go back? And I think that's that's one of the um, the if you like the interesting dynamics of this situation. There there are a lot of things that people have not tried just purely out of inertia. You know, so people people didn't bother with remote working. They didn't bother with e-commerce, just largely out of a sense of inertia. And they're now being put in a position where they have no choice but to, uh, to, to, to kind of do these things. And I think in many respects, they won't go back afterwards, uh, especially if, um, you know, if this situation lasts for a long period of time, you know, the, the inertia will op- uh, operate in the other way. And, uh, if, like with your investor hat on, like when you, uh, observe kind of the mass adherence or no not adherence sorry the mass uh, adoption of uh, services like from zoom or slack or whatever what do you think of those types of businesses in this context now are will are they positioned to thrive or they do they have the same kind of concerns as most other businesses well i think i think broadly speaking they're in they're in a position to thrive um I, I think Zoom right now has probably uh, kind of is probably hugely overvalued, frankly, um, <laughs> be, because you know everybody thinks so. You know, uh, pile in, and, and the price has gone through 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 the roof completely. I, I think it's probably overvalued, um, but. I, I I I sure wouldn't mind being an early stockholder in a company like Zoom. Um, having said that, it's not all upside because a lot of Zoom's customers are are going to find that their their own revenues are under enormous pressure, and I think businesses like Zoom will come under price pressure from their customers who themselves are suffering significant losses you know so so i i don't think it's as uh in 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 the longer term there will be a kind of a readjustment and and um you know the people who sort of said i don't care what it costs we've got to sign up for zoom will start to care what it costs you know, and, and will become much, much more uh, price sensitive to these uh, to these services. I think the bigger opportunities are for for companies that are virtualizing a physical interaction that perhaps hasn't been online yet. You know, um, so I think those are. Kind of very, uh, very, very interesting areas. Um, to give you, to give you one example, um, for a, a huge percentage of medical interactions, 
There is mm, absolutely yeah. no need for you to go and visit a doctor's surgery. And we're, we're learning very, very fast that not only is there no need for that uh, to happen, but in actual fact, it can be very much counterproductive in a, in a, in a situation such as this. So I, I think we're going to see huge changes in the way that we deliver healthcare to um, in, increasingly make an, an awful lot of those uh, those interactions uh, virtual rather than physical, you know, and, and they will only be physical when they really, really need to be physical. Yeah, and I suppose, it, it, like you mentioned earlier, it's, it's something that could always have been done, but just... Uh just out of inertia people haven't really tried it or haven't had to adopt it yes exactly exactly and goes back to that point of you know the technology has been there their companies have been you know desperately pushing uh, this technology with with frankly limited success and all of a sudden, the people have been forced to adopt these technologies. They're realizing that they work. Uh, they're realizing that they increase efficiency. They're realizing that, um, you know, that in a situation like this, they actually have many, many advantages, you know. Mm. Well, um, to wrap up, I, I, I thought we might just um, talk a little bit about like stress because stress can be because it is stressful living through a crisis like this and in managing and dealing with the crisis you know it can be quite chaotic and I'm curious if there are things that you're doing personally to manage your own stress or what kind of advice you have for other leaders and entrepreneurs to manage theirs um, I think particularly given the nature of this crisis, it's incredibly important to continue to take exercise. Um, so, so one of the things that, that I've struggled with, I'm, I'm a big walker. I, I hardly ever drive my car. Um, if I was going into the office in town, I'm lucky enough that I live close enough that I could walk to town. And that then meant that if I had another meeting somewhere else, I'd probably walk to that meeting. So, you know, it would have been highly unusual for me not to walk 10K in a day. Um, so one of the things that I'm really forcing myself to do is to, to get out of the house and sort of walk for an hour and it's not just the physical exer- exercise; it's it's the headspace that, uh, that 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 gives you, and I I think that's you know really hugely important. Um, the other thing is that you know even even if you've got no kids, um, that that hour that I'm out walking on my uh, on my own also gives my wife a little bit of space, <laughs> you know. Uh, so that's uh, that. That's one thing. Um, the other thing that I've been finding is quite useful is really to maintain a routine to kind of get up at the time that I normally would have gotten up at. Um, you know, shower, shave, those, yeah. those those kind of those kind of routine things. Um, because I think it's very, very e- easy just to, uh, to, to, to kind of just slip out of, uh, uh, of that routine. Um, you know, find, 
quite find some good music to listen to, uh, pick, pick, uh, uh, Netflix show, Tiger King seems to be <laughs> the, the, the hot one at the moment. I was going to say, what's on your coronavirus Spotify playlist? So, so to be honest, nothing, nothing in particular. Things <laughs> that I do, I usually listen to. Um, you know, I'm a huge David Bowie fan, a huge Pulp fan. Um, so, li- li- listening to a lot of that, uh, that stuff, but absolutely make, making a point of, of of getting out and walking for an hour with uh, with my headphones on and, and trying not to do phone calls while I'm out walking, you know, take take the headspace, get 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 away from the uh from from the stress of uh, of all the other stuff that's going on. Cool. Look Brian, I really appreciate you taking the time in between uh uh putting out so many fires. Um do is there anywhere where you would like to point uh, listeners to uh, find you online on Twitter or LinkedIn, etc.? So uh, my Twitter handle is uh, Brian CVC. Um, uh, also, the Scale Ireland website is scaleireland.org, and you know we'll be continuing to add content and so on as as we generate it that 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 might uh, that might help people there and i'm also on medium i i don't blog a huge amount but um people people will find the the occasional post on medium that uh, that, that, that that might be helpful to them and you know, as I said, as they as they generate more stuff, it'll it'll probably go up there and also through the Scale Ireland uh, website. Good stuff, Brian. Look, I appreciate you taking the time. No, no problem. Uh, th- thanks for the opportunity, Connor. And um, stay well and stay safe and stay home. <laughs> uh, you too, Brian. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on LinkedIn, and please visit our website, insuretechireland.org. See you next week.